Welcome to the Triple D Podcast, Donuts, Disability, and Discourse, where host Michael Liner talks to the best in the business about community, impact, business, and donuts. Here's your host, Michael Liner. I am so excited for the guest that I have today uh, on the Triple D Podcast, Nathan Lankry, who is somebody who is inspirational to me in business, and I spent a lot of time talking to you about You're just so philosophical, the way that you approach not just business, but life. Um, And um, I've I've enjoyed getting to know you since our kids were born. Yeah. Right? That's that's kind of what brought us together is Abraham, your son, is like this with my daughter. And so it's allowed us to to really like grow and develop a nice relationship. I'm excited because I actually have a mission from your son, Abraham. He said, there's no way that I could get you to eat a donut. Yeah, I don't know if, and I, I said, I, I said, I yeah, I can. Right. I think he's right. I said, I said, yeah, I can, Abraham. Watch. It might be a little lick. Maybe a little lick. A little lick? A little lick. Okay. I like the frosting maybe once. So you, you, and I was alluding to this, but you just have so many facets to your, you know, your professional life in particular. And it's like an, or, an unorthodox journey. I mean, what, when people think of you, I think they mostly think of you as the owner of, many car dealerships in Northeast Ohio. Uh, how did you get there? How did you get to that point? I mean, cause you didn't grow up, you weren't handed the keys to a dealership. Mm-hmm. So it's a loaded question. You say, how did I get there? Right? So there, there's two ways you can look at how someone gets there. You could talk about the, the journey and their history and the steps that they left behind. Yeah. Then you can talk about what I think is the most meaningful piece and it's the mindset and the alignment between your mind right in your heart and your gut and and when you when you can dig in and you can discover that alignment within that's how you get there right the rest of it is what everyone sees the you see the real beauty and the real power and how to get somewhere it's more and less of what you don't see when you think back to you know before your working life and you you were working from a very young age age right? of nine Age of nine, which is the same age as our older children. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. What was your first job? What were you doing at nine? I was working in the construction field. I, there, was a, there was a man down the street. Uh, I was friends with his son at the time. And uh, he had a little small construction company. You know, put additions on homes, built small homes around the northeast Ohio and the eastern suburbs. And, you know, I, I would start with, you know, cleaning up, you know, debris, like blocks of wood or... You know, you, you, you rip open a package of cement and there's a bag left behind. You know, send the kid. He'll come pick it up. You yeah. Know, that kind of thing. Yeah. So that, those are the things I did. And were you consistently working, trying different jobs at, at a young age? I mean, we're talking elementary school at that point. Yeah. So when I approached like 11, 12 years old in that range, I worked at a gas station. I, you know, I had an affinity for cars. And uh, I learned how to work on them, changing tires, brakes, small, you know, bolt-on engine repairs, etc. And uh, those are things that I kind of got into. Did you, at a, so you're always, you were a hard worker. Did you at any point around then, when you think back, be like, you know what, the, the bedrock to me becoming an entrepreneur were seated then? Were you starting businesses or more just hustling up work that you could do in the community? Well, my first deal I ever did is I went to an auction, right? And okay. This, this business went. How old are you? Um, I was about twelve years old. Okay. Yeah, and I, I bought a case of oil. Right, there's this uh, like little household oil. I bought a case of it, and I bought it for five dollars. And I'll never forget. And I took it to uh, a hardware store on Mayfield Road, 
and sold it for $22. Okay. That was my first deal. Were you helped by parents or siblings or anything like that to, in that particular transaction? Or is this something that you did this all on your own? I did on my own. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And did, on my own. did that kind of, I mean, after you sold it that one time for that profit, did you? I was hooked. You were hooked. I was hooked. And so what, was there a process that you would have? Were you going around finding auctions? I mean, how are you even getting to these places when you're 12? Bicycle. No, I run my bicycle. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I had this little apparatus on the handlebars that I could strap things to or do whatever I okay. needed to do. Okay. You know, to, uh, to figure out a way logistically how to move this stuff around. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so when did, when did you, like, really first organize and start your own business then? Let's see. Um, well, you see, I, I have another theory on this. See, yeah. I, I think everyone works for themselves. Right? right. So whether you work per se, for a company is, again, on the outside. But on the inside, again, if your mind and your heart and your gut, right, those are in alignment, you work for yourself no matter where you are. Because in a sense, even if you own your own business, per se, you're really working for the government, right? There's guidelines that you have to follow and abide by. If you don't, you end up in the penitentiary. So you're really always working for someone, right? So you don't really work for yourself anyway. And people have this misconception that they work for themselves. They, they really don't, right? So from that, that, that perspective, right? So the biggest thing to look at is you work for yourself. If you're here, we're sitting in a, in a, in a, in a cafe. Sure. The waitress works for themselves in a sense that when they greet the customer and they're about to take their order, how they handle that determines most of the time, not always, their tip. They're working for themselves. Right. If you're a salesperson working in real estate for Howard Hanna or whoever it may be, you're working for yourself. What if I'm a mechanic who's working in... You're working for yourself. How am I working for myself if I'm, you know... Because you're taking pride in what you do. Okay. You're, you're, you're taking initiative on coming to work on time. You're taking initiative to learn what's needed. Uh, the new skills that, that are required as, you know, with technology, things evolve. Yeah. Uh, it's an ever-changing world. And to stay on top of that and be ahead of it, you're working for yourself from that perspective. One of the things that I alluded to earlier, and there's just so many different faces to your you know, business life, is you're an author, too. You've written several books. Yeah, and the first right. book that I'm you... actually working on another one currently. What, uh, what's... That one I cannot disclose until cannot it's Cannot disclose. But you've published multiple books. I'll stay tuned. You know, I'll I'll make sure I get one of the first copies. I always get an early copy. Yeah, you do. do. And not only do I read it, I also listen to you when you do the book on tape Uh, version. Well, I'll do that as well. Thank you. There will be a recorded version of that book as well. Um, But the first book that you wrote was really about uh, your, your views on business. And, you know, just that's maybe sort of a, a, a small way of looking at it, but mm-hmm. was really focused on, um, you know, kind of a, a little bit of entrepreneurship, but also just views towards kind of a healthy life. Mm-hmm. How much of that do you pass off to the people that work for you in your different businesses? I mean, are you, do you spend a lot of time coaching people, working with them? Do you share your writing with, with them? As needed, right? So, yeah. you know, it's not a one size fits all yeah. approach. I think each uh, scenario is tailor-made relative to what I see, right? Not, now, what I see is one piece of the equation. The most important piece of the equation is what the other person sees, but more importantly, what they don't see, right? So how we can 
you know, eliminate and bring light to what they don't see can be helpful. At the same time, they have to have an appetite for it. If they don't have an appetite for it, for example, this donut. I mean, it looks like a beautiful donut. I mean, if I ever saw a donut, it looks like the perfect donut. I don't eat donuts. I don't have an appetite for it. So to, to force the whole donut down my throat would be a very difficult task. How do you find people that have the appetite? How do you surround yourself with people that have an appetite like yours to help? Awareness. So you have to have an awareness, right, of what it is that's important to you organically. Not what you want it to be. Not what you think you could change it into. Not what you think you can overpower it into being. But more importantly, seeing it for what it actually is. Recognizing that what I see is what it is. And it, is that something that fits within my guidelines? Does that fit within my value system? If the answer is no, then don't think you can change it because you'll die trying. And I can speak from experience on that. So when you're hiring someone, I'm just trying to think of this in terms of, uh, you know, somebody that comes to work for you. Do you have a lot of like layers to what it takes to be hired into one of your businesses? Or do, do you trust your gut quickly when you meet somebody? It's a combination of uh, several things. So we do have a vetting process. There's an interview process that uh, the management team adheres to. Yeah. Okay. And they work closely with each other to make this decision. Once they pass through that segment, then I do the final interview. And that's something that I look at very closely. And, I, and I'm just looking for the qualities of people and what their threshold of care is, what their threshold of, of wanting to connect with others in a team effort. Tell me about those qualities. What are the qualities that you're looking for? I'm sure it depends on where you're going to place them in your organization. The biggest thing but I look for is anger. Number one I look for is anger. What's the tolerance? What's their threshold? Everyone is a flashpoint, right? So think about a flashpoint of what, where something liquefies, okay? Everything in the world can liquefy. Now the question is what's the temperature? Some things are 32 degrees, right? right. Some things are 200 degrees. Some things are 1,000 degrees, so I'm looking for something with what I would call a, a reasonable range relative to what they're going to be exposed to. Why anger? Anger, anger is like a, it's like a drug in a sense, right? So picture uh, two, two guys. They're standing outside on the sidewalk, 2.30 a.m. They, they've been drinking since 6 p.m. the day before, and they're intoxicated. They're drunk, both of them, equally drunk. And they get into an argument, they get an altercation, and you try to break it up. It's very difficult, if not impossible, until one or two knock each other out or knock one out. Sure. Them. Why? Because they're angry and they're drunk. Right? So when people become angry, they become drunk. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're saying. They say things, and then they later on regret, oh, I, didn't, I lost my head. What was I thinking? Right? So I look for threshold of anger because that is where people begin no matter how intelligent they are in a, in a healthy zone, they become less intelligent, if not ignorant, when they become angry. Do you do things when you're having those conversations with somebody new to um, try and find their anger point? Do you test them or push them? Not necessarily. I'm not necessarily pushing buttons or poking at them to aggravate them to, to the extent of engaging them in an angry yeah. you know, spout here, right? Um, it's more or less just kind of you know, through a series of questions and, and ideas of, you know, it's, you know, for example, we may say something like, tell me about the last disagreement you got into with a coworker. Okay. okay. 
some responses are, you know, hey, well, this guy did this, and, it, and how did it happen? Right? You see, you kind of listen to it. Some may say, well, it never happens. Okay, so now we know we got somebody that's not telling the truth, right? Because right. if you're working with a group of people, you're going to have disagreements. Right. It's human nature, right? So this person now is trying to avoid conflict, right? So if you're avoiding conflict, why would you want to avoid conflict? A lot of times it's because it makes people feel awkward, makes them feel uneasy. And not all the time, but most of the time they become super angry. And they don't want to enter that zone because when they do, they know that they lose control. And the last thing you want to do is lose control in the middle of an interview. There's something that you said to me years ago. We were having dinner and... I don't know where this came from, but you told me that when you're out to dinner with somebody or lunch or whatever it is for the first time, you always watch to see if when they get up from the table, do you remember what you told me? They push in their chair. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to put you on the spot, but are there other little nuances yes, you that you, or you wouldn't be? Well, here we go. <laughs> you can tell me you're not going to answer. I could buy that too. Um, are there other little nuances like that that you look for in interpersonal interactions that you think reveal bigger things about somebody's character? So I'm putting you on the spot. No, I, it's not that you're putting me on the spot in a way that um, is, is uncomfortable. It's, yeah. it's you're, you're asking a question, and I want to be very clear on how I answer it. Okay. Because I want to make sure that there, it's clearly understood, right? What what are some of these things, right? Yeah. So we'll use the example of pushing in the chair, right? Pushing in the chair is it, it's a symbol of, of, of respect. Respect, right? It's respect for the people you're with. It's respect for the restaurant, mm -hmm. right? It's respect for the people that are walking by. Yeah. But the biggest piece is it's the self-respect of are you just bouncing off of life? aimlessly reacting to your desire yeah. or are you thoughtful on how you're going to soothe that desire? Exactly. So in other words, are you mindful of what's around you or are you not mindful? So what you're asking is, are there things that I do or things that I observe to recognize whether somebody's more mindful than what's in their immediate impulse? And there are things, there's a, there's a lot of things, right? Um, the list goes on. I, I don't think this podcast can be long enough, right, to, to do that. But if you just... We can get more donuts. Yeah. We'll get a dozen, right? <laughs> we can eat our way through yeah, them while you tell me. So so what what you, what you I would say to, to you and, and anyone that's listening, not so much in the detail of what I do, but it's more or less being aware of your own value system, being aware of what's important to you, being aware of what you see as a model of what is a respectful individual. Yeah. And then recognizing the things that they do, if they fit within that mold or not, or if they color inside those lines or not. That would be that would be the way I'd answer that question in a way that tailor make your own guidelines rather than piggybacking off of mine. We've already talked about how you're an author, and one thing that I know about you is that you're also a voracious reader as well. And, you know, you clearly consume the world around you and take in the things that uh, are happening and you're very aware of your surroundings. You already mentioned that. Are there a few books, though, that you think about when and, and maybe that you've reread a few times that you think have kind of helped shape your thought process? They all, they all have shaped my thought process, right? 
So I, I can't say that one or, or, or not. It's, it's, yeah. it's like a mosaic. You move one piece, you change the whole picture. Yeah. Right? So I think each and every one has a weighted value. I, I can't quantify which one has a greater or less than because they all play a major part in, yeah. in self-development. Got it. Well, I do want to respect your time. I appreciate yeah, you coming here and talking to me. I always enjoy it. Now, we do have the Abraham test. I have to live up to my son's standards. And he We've, knows I will not eat it. He yeah. knows he will, you will not eat it. But you did promise us maybe just a little lick. I, I didn't promise. You didn't promise? I said I may. You may? Okay. May. All right. And we'll have to wait till May. We'll have to wait till May. And we're not in May. Okay. So we're going to have to give it some time. Well, um, it does look great, though, I, I must admit. I mean, if there was ever a donut, if I was ever to break that rule, I think this one would do it. We're at we're at Stonut Donut in Stowe, Ohio, which um, I know you you know I don't know. It sounds like you've never had a donut here, but you do uh, work in this area at yeah, least some yeah. of the time. So I you're sure you're through this neighborhood, um, and um, I I can only agree with you that these are delicious looking donuts. Uh, but again, I'm just so appreciative of you coming and spending your, your time, time with us, course. and I look forward to all your insights in the future as well. Yeah. So thank you, thank you, Nathan. Yeah, my friend. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for listening to the Triple D Podcast. Donuts, disability, and discourse. Rate, subscribe, and tune in next week for more discourse and donuts.